welcome to the Fit for the Future podcast, which helps you navigate this fast-changing world by bringing you ideas, information, interviews, and insights for being fit for the future. Here's your host, Gihan Pereira. Hello, everybody. I hope things are going well for you. I'm recording this in February 2022, and the year has started, and I hope it started well for you. And of course, around the world, we're still going through this COVID-19 crisis. It's been almost two years for us uh, throughout most of Australia, and uh, just a little bit over two years for the world. And we're still not over this crisis. I don't think COVID-19 is done with us yet, but we're, sti- we're seeing that in many parts of the world, including many parts of Australia, we seem to be past the peak of the, the worst of the crisis, and we're coming towards the end of that now. And uh, even in my home state of Western Australia, we've decided that finally we're going to join the rest of the world, and we'll be opening up soon as well. And so there'll be a little bit of pain attached to that, and there will be some ongoing pain in the months ahead, but many people are seeing the green shoots at the end of that. And today I want to talk about some of the biggest challenges that Australian organisations are going to be facing in the year ahead. And of course, this is going to vary across different industries, different organisations, and even teams within organisations. But I want to share with you some research that was done broadly across Australia, and Australian leaders identified what they say are their biggest challenges they're going to face this year. And some of them will overlap with yours, some of them won't. And uh, what I want to do is uh, look at some of the highlights. So I'm going to focus on the top four challenges that Australian business leaders said that they will face in the year ahead. And this is based on some research done by KPMG. What they do is at the start of each year, they survey Australian leaders and they ask them, what's top of mind for you? In fact, what they say is what's keeping you up at night? And uh, they publish this report and they've been publishing it for a few years now. They had a little bit of a COVID enforced break over the last couple of years, but they're back now. And what they do is that they they survey Australian leaders. And for the first time this year, they're not only going for C-suite leaders, but they've gone broader than that as well. So they're looking at um, emerging leaders and also at at the governance level so that they they broaden the, the insights that they get. And they published this report called Keeping Us Up at Night. And today I'm going to share with you what were the top four biggest challenges that these leaders surveyed and said that they will face in the year ahead. Now, there were more than four in the report, but uh, I'm going to focus on the top four so we can look at each of them in a little bit more detail. And I'll give you some practical ideas on what what that might mean for your organization as well. So we're going to go through these four top four challenges, and I'm going to do them in reverse order. So a little bit of a countdown. So we'll go four, three, two, one. And as we do each of them, uh, just consider what that means for, for your organization, your business, your team. In fact, before we get started on those four, can I ask you to think about what do you think the biggest challenges are that you're going to face in the year ahead? Now, some of them might be COVID related and they might be as we're coming out of the back end of the pandemic. Some of them might not be. And whatever they are, consider what they are for yourself. It's, it's useful to do that now before I share with you what this report said, because some of those might overlap and some of them might not. Okay, so just pause now and make a list of perhaps the top three or four things that you're going to face uh, as a leader in your organization um, or your team in the year ahead. Okay, good to have you back. Let's let's go through these four. As I said, I'm going to do them in reverse order. So we're going to do them as a countdown. And let's start with number four. So number four is digital transformation. Now, it's interesting that the first three years that KPMG ran this report, which was like about five years ago when they started doing this, for all of those first three years, the number one 
challenge that Australian leaders had was digital transformation. And now a few other things have come along and bumped it a little bit further down the list. But as you will hear as we continue, uh, that all the top four um, have a bit of a digital thread running through them. So the pandemic didn't slow down digital transformation. If anything, it accelerated it. And there are many organisations saying that they've had to go through five, six, maybe even 10 years of digital transformation in the last one or two years. As a result of the pandemic, you know, we have this deadly virus that um, is transmitted by, from people. And so we've been reducing physical contact. We've been going more online. We've been shutting ourselves away. And so so it mean, it's meant that we've had to become more digital, like it or not. And this year, uh, KPMG says that this is the fourth biggest challenge that organizations and leaders are facing. And in fact, the way that they put it was the challenge was digital transformation and optimization and being able to extract organizational value from it. So th this is almost 50% of people said that this was a challenge for them, 44, 45%. Um, and deconstructing that, what that means is that, like, how do we make sure that we're not just being digital for the sake of digital, but we're being digital because it will improve the value that we can offer to our customers, clients, and other stakeholders. Uh, and by the way, it's not just KPMG that said this. So um, other research has shown this as well. Uh, there's some research from Macquarie University and said that three out of four, 74% of senior leaders said that they had to adopt new technology to help them through COVID-19. Um, there's some other research from McKinsey said that two thirds of companies, 67% of companies, sped up their use of automation and artificial intelligence um, as a result of COVID-19. And this is really important. Um, as I said, COVID-19 has accelerated that and it's not going to slow down anytime soon. However, I want to be really clear here about what digital transformation means, because it's not as simple as saying in the past, everything was physical. In the future, everything's digital. Obviously, there's going to be a mix of those things. And even in that whole area of digital, there are different levels of digital transformation. So let me talk you through five different levels of digital transformation. And as I talk you through this, I'd like you to think about um, where do I fit? Where does our organization fit? And where does my team fit in terms of how digital are we? Okay, so the, the bottom level, which is actually not digital, but it's a physical one, is the area of atoms. Okay, so atoms are physical. So they're actual things um, that you can see, feel, touch. Um, so in your organization, what atoms do you have? Every bit of paper is made of atoms. The files that you've got, the filing cabinets, uh, your office is made of atoms. The meeting room with the table and the chairs and the whiteboard at the front, um, those are all made of atoms. So those are the things that are not digital, they're physical. And then digital transformation is going from the physical world of atoms to the digital world of bits and it's going to happen in five levels or five layers. So let's go through them from the simplest to the most advanced. So the first and the most simple thing you can do is go from atoms to bits. So the first level of digital is go to bits. So anything that, that's physical, you make digital. So you eliminate all the paper and make it all online. Um, you eliminate um, meeting rooms because you're all going to meet online. You eliminate offices because people are going to be working from home or from other hubs or from somewhere else. Now, it doesn't have to be completely that way. And you may be somewhere along the way uh, to removing some of your physical objects and replacing them with digital. But that's the first step. The first step is 
to take things that are physical and turn them into digital. Uh, in other words, turn them into bits, turn atoms into bits. The next level is to take those bits and put them into the cloud. Now, there are two kinds of clouds here. So one is the cloud, which is a very personal cloud. So if, you have, if you're part of the Apple iOS ecosystem, you have iCloud, where you put things in the cloud and it's your own personal cloud, which means you can access it from any device that you own. But what you've put into your iCloud uh, isn't available to people outside of you. It's a private cloud, but it means you can access it from many devices. And many organizations are doing that at an enterprise level, at a business level. You might have an intranet or you might be using Microsoft SharePoint enterprise systems and you have access to all your documents from any device. And other people in your organization also have access to it, but it's very protected, it's secure, so it's only people in your organization or your team who have access to documents. So this is second level of digital. The next level is another version of cloud, but this is an external cloud. In fact, let's call it open. So open means that you've got your data, you've got your bits in the cloud, but it's an external cloud which other people can access. Now, now, of course, you have the appropriate security and permissions and protocols so you can control who gets access to it. And also you don't give them unfettered access to it. What you do is you have what are called APIs, application programming interfaces, that give people a very controlled way to get access to the data in the cloud. So a really practical example of this is the Australian banking system. So recently, we've had legislation in Australia that says that Australian banks who've got access to our financial transactions, our financial records, must have some way to make those available with our permission to selected applications that want access to it. So you could imagine that some savvy startup company creates an app that will um, look through all your financial transactions and make some recommendations around budgeting or finance or what you should do, what you should invest in or what you should do for superannuation. And to do that, it needs access to your financial records. So you give it access to your, your loans, your bank records, your credit cards, and you give them permission to do that. And then it gives you some valuable information. So now we have a system in Australia where banks are required to provide that sort of access in a controlled way to um, other bits of software and other companies that, that request it. And as you can imagine, as long as the security and the permissions and the control is taken care of, that is much more powerful than just having your uh, digital assets in this private area which nobody else can have access to. So that's the next level of digital, that's the, the, the open level. The next level on top of that is artificial intelligence, AI. So AI is a very broad term and it doesn't apply to only to things like, you know, Terminator style robots that are going to take over the world. Um, but one area of AI which is relevant here is uh, this area of machine learning where AI gets some data, um, makes some predictions and then based on whether those predictions are right or wrong, it learns just the same, the, the same way that we as humans learn. And those AI systems, they learn best when they get access to huge amounts of data. And if you've got this, if you've got your data available through these open APIs, so you're at the open level, then it means that you can then let AI loose on it to learn and to grow and to make predictions and to, to help you make better decisions in your organization. So are you at that level where you, you not only have your data available and open for um, controlled access from other humans, but it's also available to machine learning software, in other words, artificial intelligence to help you and your organization. 
Okay, so that's the fourth level, AI. Now the fifth level is one that very few organizations do, but the ones that do can completely transform industries. And this is where you completely turn your business model inside out. And rather than providing a business in a particular industry, you provide a platform for many other organizations and businesses within that industry. So a really good example that many people know of is let's say the Apple iPhone. So Apple makes most of its money by selling hardware. It's an electronics company. It sells uh, phones, tablets, and laptops. But it also makes a huge amount of money, uh, billions of dollars a year, from its App Store. So its App Store is a platform. So yes, of course, Apple creates its own apps, but it also creates, it's also created a platform, which is the App Store, where anybody else can create an app uh, that works within the Apple ecosystem. And of course, it's not just Apple. Um, Android phones do exactly the same thing. And there have been um, other platforms like that, but perhaps more in the geeky space in the past. And it's Apple who made that whole App Store idea uh, mainstream. And the way that that works from Apple's point of view is that every time somebody buys an app, then Apple clips a ticket on the way through and they make billions of dollars of uh, revenue from that. So this is the idea of uh, platforms like the Apple App Store or like Spotify. Spotify is not a recording label or a music company, but it provides a platform for artists and labels. So not many people get to that uh, level five of digital transformation, but and you don't have to, but a few of them do. So just quickly in summary, here are those five levels again. So starting from atoms, which is kind of level zero, so that's physical, but the five levels on top of that are bits, where you just go from physical to digital, and then the cloud, where you take your bits and you make them shareable um, from across multiple devices. Then you go to open, where they're not only shareable across devices, but they're also accessible in a controlled way and with your permissions uh, to other organizations and other people. And then you go to AI, where uh, then you've let loose uh, software that will then leverage the data that you've got to be able to help you to make better decisions. And the last level, if you choose to go there, is where you build a platform where other businesses and other organizations can use your platform to create their own uh, services and products to reach the market. Okay, so as you think about digital transformation, think about where you are at the moment. And a really crucial point that I want to make is that you don't have to work your way all the way up that chain. It's not that every organization is going to turn into a platform organization. A few of them will, but some of them won't go as far as that. And you, you'll see why later, and you'll see what's most appropriate for you. But at the moment, it's useful for you to understand where you are when you talk about how digitally enabled are you. And I can tell you that when I talk to general audiences and to a broad base of clients, many people aren't even really at level one. So they've got a lot of things which are still physical, which they haven't yet converted into bits. So they've still got a whole bunch of atoms in the organization, which causes a lot of friction. It's much harder to move atoms around than it is to move bits around. Bits travel literally at the speed of light. And that's, that's the real value of becoming digital. Um, the other point I want to make before we leave this one is that digital transformation, even though I've talked about technology all the time, is that it's primarily about people first, not technology. And if you're going through any sort of digital transformation process in your organization at the moment, make sure that you focus on people first, because if you don't bring your people along on the journey, then nothing else happens.
Okay, so we spent quite a bit of time on that one. And that was only number four in KPMG's uh, list of the top big business challenges that uh, Australian leaders are facing. But it's a really important one. And as we'll see, as we go through in number, numbers three, two and one, you'll see that there is a very strong digital thread through all of them. Okay, let's look at number three. Uh, number three, the third one on the list, um, the report, the KPMG report, calls this working remotely, which of course has become mainstream in the last couple of years, again, as a result of COVID-19. So the way the report puts this is a challenge that leaders are facing, uh, the challenges and benefits of employees working remotely. And yeah, like I, I cringe a little bit about the term working remotely because I, I don't like that term uh, because it, it automatically has that implication that if you're not in the office, you're kind of like a second-class citizen. It elevates the office as the main workplace and anybody else is remote. It's almost like a remote outpost. Now, you may not mean it that way, but it has that implication. Um, so I prefer the, the term distributed teams, but that's not as common. Most people still call it working remotely. And again, almost 50% of leaders in KPMG's survey said that this is the challenge that they're facing. Uh, and this is something that has been around for a while. It's become mainstream in the last couple of years, but it's something that I've been championing for at least 10 years, at, at least 15 years, in fact. And I remember many, many years ago, uh, I had my laptop working at a little cafe outside, uh, sitting by the river. And uh, this was such a, such a novel idea at the time that a reporter for a local community newspaper happened to be walking by. And we had a bit of a chat and he said, oh, can I take a photo of you and do a little bit of a write-up, which he did. Uh, because it was so novel at the time. Now, of course, people walk past you and they just take you for granted that if you're there sitting with your laptop, then you're, you, know, you could still be fully occupied and fully at work. Uh, just over 10 years ago, my friend Chris Pudney and I uh, published a book. It's called Out of Office. And it was designed for people, for employees, who wanted to create a kind of work style that would allow them to be effective working away from the office uh, some, some of the time during the week or maybe even full time um, and being able to convince their, their bosses that they'd be able to make that work uh, effectively. And this was long before this whole idea was mainstream. But of course, the pandemic has made it mainstream and people are now looking at new ways of working where the office doesn't have to be the main workplace. And one of the people who's kind of been pushing this in the last few years is Chris Hurd, and he's a CEO of an organization called First Base. And he says that offices are instant gratification distraction factories. I love that. Offices are instant gratification distraction factories. And he goes on to say, where synchronous work makes it impossible to get stuff done. So synchronous work is where you have to be there at the same time to collaborate with somebody. So it's like saying somebody calls you into a meeting or they ring you on the phone and you have to interrupt what you're doing and then um, interact with them, engage with them. He goes on to say tools that enable asynchronous work are the most important thing that globally remote teams need. Now, it doesn't have to be globally remote. Of course, it could be any time where you've got people working together as a team, but from different workplaces, then um, you have to make that work and you have to make collaboration work. So a synchronous tool would be something like saying to people, let's jump on a Teams meeting, let's jump on a Zoom meeting, or you pick up the phone and call somebody and again, interrupt them. Asynchronous tools are where people can collaborate without having to do it at exactly the same time. So email, it should be a really good asynchronous tool because you send an email and then 
the person doesn't have to respond to that email immediately. They don't have to be at their desk. Um, as long as the email's clear and the deadline's in there, people can choose to fit that within their priorities and still get their other work done. So many people who work in an office don't really know how to make asynchronous collaboration work because they've never had to do it. And they might even send an email and then you have this thing which is uh, like humorously called the email courier. You send an email and then five minutes later, uh, if you haven't got a response, you walk over to somebody's office or their cubicle and say, hey, did you get my email? And uh, you know, then, then you interrupt them and it, it affects their productivity, it affects your productivity, and it's not really using the tool well. But many people don't know how to use asynchronous tools well. And this is one of the challenges that we're facing. It's not true of every organization. Some have already taken the bull by the horns and they've said the pandemic gives us a great opportunity for us to look at changing the workplace of the future. So one example of that, which is a client of mine, is Siemens, a large multinational industrial company. Um, and now early in the pandemic in 2020, when most of the world was still in lockdown, and Siemens throughout the organization, they, they issued an edict. And they said, from now on, forevermore, anybody who is in an office-based job, um, has the right to work two to three days a week away from the office. Now you negotiate that with your manager and the rest of your team, but you're entitled to that, to work two to three days a week away from the office. Now, when they first announced this, um, working away from the office pretty much meant working from home. But in the future, they had the idea that it could mean that you're working from a cafe or a park or a, a local hub or some sort of co-working space, uh, or you're working while you're traveling. And Roland Bush, who's the CEO of Siemens now, said at the time, we trust our employees and we empower them to shape their work themselves so they can achieve the best possible results. So they said, We'll tell people what we want, we'll tell people the goals that they have to achieve, and we'll let them choose when and where they do the work. Um, because Siemens, like a few other organizations, but not enough yet, in my opinion, uh, recognize that the workplace doesn't have to be the office. In fact, if you think of the word workplace, think about the two parts of that work and place. And, and for the last 200 years, for knowledge workers, the workplace and the office have been one and the same, but they've had to be for that time because you had to go to the office because that's where all the files were, that's where the secretaries were, uh, that's where your team members were, but that's no longer the case. And um, progressive organizations are realizing that we can split them, that work is what needs to get done and place or places are where the work gets done and they don't have to be one and the same. And now we're already seeing conversations as we're coming out of this pandemic about what the future workplace might look like. So let me read out just a few headlines that I've seen recently about the, the workplace of the future. So here's one that says small business owners say remote work made them better team leaders. Um, here's another one from the Wall Street Journal. Thanks to remote work, many in Gen Z may never work in an office. And will it matter? Here's one from the Sydney Morning Herald. It says in 10 years, what we call remote work will simply be work. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that we're gonna have a perfectly smooth transi transition to this. Uh, here's another headline that said, expanding remote work won't inherently empower workers. And that's true, you have to put work into it. Um, here's another one from the Wall Street Journal. Why more bosses should say yes when employees ask for special deals. And organizations and even countries are thinking about different ways of working now. Here's a headline from CNBC recently. It says, this company switched to a four-day work week and 91% of its workers say they're happier. Uh, from the Fin Review, 
working from home, hybrid working into the third dimension. And if you're thinking that third dimension might be something like virtual reality, and that's not what the AFR report was talking about, but that is one of the things that we should be thinking about in the future. Um, there's a lot of talk about the metaverse, where we might not be working in a physical place, and that's definitely going to affect the workplace of the future as well. So I wonder for yourself, if you're going to reflect on what's happened over the last two years, if you are in an organization that has mainly knowledge workers, then the first thing to remember is that you had the luxury of, during the worst of the pandemic, being able to have people working from home. Don't get me wrong, it absolutely was a disruption, but for many organizations, it did give them the opportunity to work safely and as productively, and sometimes even more productively, as when they were in the office. Um, and now, as we're coming out of the other side of the pandemic, what's that going to mean for your organization? Are you going to just drag everybody back into the office because that's the only way that you know how to lead people? Or are you going to look at some other variations of that? And there's some, there are lots and lots of possibilities, as you've heard from just, just some of those headlines that I, that I read out for you. And if you go even further and think about the post-pandemic workplace of the future, it goes beyond just a workplace and we've got fluid teams. So fluid teams are, first of all, it's where the work gets done, which is what we've talked about, different places and even around the world. But also, when does the work get done? It doesn't have to be people who are all together, whether they're physically together or not. They don't all have to be in the same time zone or working the same hours. They could be you know, working part-time. If they're working three-day weeks, it could be different three days. They could be working in different time zones from different countries around the world. They could be taking public holidays at different times. So there's a lot of flexibility about when the work gets done as well. And finally, even who does the work? Uh, like, is it really true that the best people to work on this project are the people who happen to live within commuting distance of your office? Well, obviously not. And now that we've been exposed to a more digital world, there really are opportunities for you to expand your horizons and uh, think about who's in your team. You can bring in teams for particular projects as you need them. You might have a core team, but then you bring in contractors or freelancers or um, world experts from anywhere who are joining you online, or you're collaborating with other departments or other branches of your organization who might be somewhere on the other side of the world. So, how are you going to make this idea of working remotely or distributed teams work for you? Okay, so that was number three on KPMG's list of the biggest challenges that leaders say that they'll be facing this year. And number two, which is a really big one, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one, um, and I'll explain why, is cybersecurity. So this is a major challenge for many organizations. This whole idea of dealing with cyber vulnerability was something that again, 50% of leaders said this is going to be one of their biggest challenges in the year ahead. And part of the reason it's so challenging is because there's this constant arms race between um, the people who are trying to attack the cyber attackers and the people who are trying to defend and protect against those attacks. And even if you use a sophisticated software and sophisticated artificial intelligence techniques, the attackers are just as good and sometimes even better than you are at being able to penetrate those defenses because they're getting better and better again. So you, then you have to improve your defenses, they become better as attackers and so on. It's a never-ending thing. Um, so I just want to share a couple of stats around that uh, and KPMG, of course, those leaders said that's a, that's a really major issue. And the World Economic Forum said that cyber attacks right now are in the top 10 global risks. Not just top 10 global business risks, 
but top 10 global risks. So with things like, you know, right up there with climate change and sustainability and um, you know, supply chain issues and political instability and terrorism and poverty and um, all of those things, cyber attacks are one of the top 10 global risks. I was also interested in another piece of research that said that 69%, so let's say 70% of organizations think that AI, artificial intelligence, is necessary to be able to respond to cyber attacks. And when I look at that, I think absolutely that's true. In fact, I feel sorry for the 30% of organizations who think that AI isn't necessary. It absolutely is because the, the bad guys, the attackers, are absolutely using AI to be able to break through our defenses in ways that... Um, as humans, we're not able to adequately protect ourselves when we're being attacked by you know, people and AI working together. Um, and again, I said this about digital transformation, that it's about people first, not technology. And that's true for cybersecurity as well. That it's very much about people first, not technology. So most cybersecurity attacks and breaches happen not because the attackers find some flaw in some software, some bug that they can exploit. It's not. It's because somebody opens an email that looks like it's from their bank or it's from a birthday card, from a birthday greeting that they click it and it installs a virus or some malware on their system. So people are the weakest link here. And look, there's no point me spending much more time talking about cybersecurity here because a real solution to this is to work with experts. You might have in-house experts who do this or you may outsource your security to somebody else. But make sure that you look after cybersecurity, especially in this increasingly digital world. Okay, drum roll. We're up to number one. The number one. The number one biggest challenge that Australian business leaders said that they will face in 2022 is this idea of digitally savvy talent, if you like digitally savvy people. So the way this came out in the report, the challenge that leaders and organisations are going to face is talent acquisition, retention and upskilling for a more digitised future. And if you remember those other three, which were number two, three, and four on the list, were around about 45 to 50% of leaders said this was one of their biggest challenges. This one was a whopping 70%, 69%. So this is absolutely the biggest challenge that many leaders are facing. And it's related to this idea of digital transformation. If we're going to go through this digital transformation process, then of course we need smart, savvy people who are engaged in that. And I really want to look at this concept of this more digitized future. And what does it really mean? So the obvious answer to that is that we're going to have a lot more technology around. And that's absolutely true. It is true. But that's not the biggest change that's happened or is happening as a result of us becoming more digital. As I said earlier, digital transformation is about people first, not technology. And if you look at the things that technology has enabled, it's enabled a whole bunch of things that at first it might not seem obvious that this has anything to do with digital, but it's what digital has enabled and facilitated. So a couple of examples. Let's start off with a couple of digital things first. So mobile devices, more and more of your customers, clients, patients, community are using mobile devices. So they want to engage with you using mobile devices. So for example, if you're a retailer and they're on your website on their phone, they want to be able to speak into the phone rather than typing for what they want. And even ideally, what they will really want to do is while they're wandering around and they see somebody else using some product, some clothes or some uh, piece of technology, they want to be able to hold up their phone to that, take a photograph, and it will automatically recognize that product and then go to your website so that they can add it to their shopping cart. So that's something that 
a few organizations, a few retailers are doing, but not many people are doing that at this stage. So just recognize that your customers, clients, patients, community are wandering around with this very high powered computer in their pocket or their purse with their phones and tablets and they want to engage with you using those devices. And are you set up for that? Are you enabled for that? Um, Related to that is this concept of moments of truth. Um, Jan Carlson, who was the former head of Scandinavian Airlines, uh, he came up with this concept of moments of truth. And he, he told everyone in his organization, every time, every engagement, however small, that you have with a customer is a moment of truth. And it's only based on those that they decide how much they like you, they trust you, uh, how much they're willing to work with you. In other words, it builds your brand. And just consider every moment of truth that customers have with you. And um, as I said, more and more, they want those to be digital engagements. So, you know, there are generations of customers who never want to ring a call center. They never want to ring a 1-800 number or 1-3 number because they want to engage with you through their devices, through text, um, and maybe even with chat bots and with AI because it's so much of a nuisance to to pick up the phone and call somebody and absolutely is and then there's some people who would rather do it that way but there are many people who wouldn't and again are you enabled for that looking even more broadly you can think about the end of ownership of many products and services so if you're in the business of selling CDs or DVDs I feel sorry for you because you probably don't have much of a business now because we've now got these streaming services where we don't own stuff we rent it. Uh, we rent it for a much lower cost than it used to cost us to buy the physical product, whether it was a, a record or a CD or a DVD. But because it's digital, the marginal cost to the supplier come, has gone down radically. But that means that we don't own things, but we have access to much more than ever before. And like CDs and DVDs are a small example of that. But bigger examples are things that we traditionally owned, like houses and cars and parking spaces. And many of those things in a more digitized future, we may not own anymore. So if you're selling stuff, just be aware that business models are changing in our more digitized future. Another idea is that the whole concept of how people engage with with each other and social media influence means that your brand operates differently in a more digitized future. So in the past, customers, clients and other stakeholders could engage with you and um, everybody focus on how they could improve that customer experience every time they engage with you. Now, thanks to social media, they engage with each other as well, and also with people who might be your future customers and clients and stakeholders. And social media has enabled that, and that's completely changed the way that organizations are thinking about their brand. And this is another consequence of this more digitized future. And in a few years' time, when we have this metaverse, people will be, will be engaging in a virtual reality world as well, and again, talking about you and your brand. And are you ready for that? Another area is this uh, area that's been growing very fast, which is diversity and inclusion. If you like DEI, diversity, equity and inclusion, and making sure that, well, two things. First of all, making sure that marginalized groups have equity and equality in our society. And second, actually leveraging and embracing the differences and diversity that we have in our teams, in our teams, in our customers, in our whole organization. Again, that That doesn't sound at first as something that has anything to do with the digitized future, but as a result of digital technology, especially among younger generations who are embracing and championing many of these causes, that many of these issues around diversity, equity and inclusion have become 
mainstream now and are taking a much bigger place on in a, in a society stage. Rather than in the past, they did tend to be marginalised and pushed to the side because they tended to be a threat to the hierarchies that are already in place. Okay, so I've given you five examples now of what a more digitized future would look like. And it's not simply about everybody going paperless or going from atoms to bits. It's much more sophisticated and nuanced than that. So I'd like you to think about what are your gaps. You know, I asked you earlier to figure out how digitally enabled you are. And I did say, just keep in mind that you don't have to be at level five and turn into a platform business. You don't. You don't have to do that. But think about what your external stakeholders, your customers, your clients, your patients, your community, board members, the media, think about what they expect of you and then consider, are you doing enough to be ready for that digitized present and then the digitized future? Okay, so in summary, those top four challenges again, let's do them in one, two, three, four order. Number one, digital savvy talent. Number two is cybersecurity. Number three is this idea of, okay, working remotely or distributed teams. And number four is digital transformation. So I wonder whether those are among your top business challenges for 2022. There are plenty of other challenges out there as well. We didn't even talk about climate change and sustainability, purpose and meaning, diversity at leadership and senior leadership levels, uh, innovation, transparency, supply chains, regulation, being more agile and flexible, a whole bunch of other things. They did get mentioned in the KPMG report. Uh, they just didn't make the top four. If you're interested in reading the full KPMG report, it's, uh, it's easy to find and it's free online. Just search for KPMG, keeping us up at night, and you'll be able to read uh, a bit more detail about the four that I've covered today, as well as some of the others that didn't quite make that cut of the top four, but doesn't mean that they're not important. So I hope you found that useful and I hope you go through for yourself and your team and your organization a little bit of an exercise to figure out what your top challenges are and particularly look at it from the external viewpoint. In other words, what are your customers, clients, patients and other stakeholders expecting you to do and what's the gap between what you're doing now and what they expect of you. That's one of the best ways to set your path for the future in this highly disrupted world. I hope you enjoyed that and found something valuable for your personal and your professional life. And if you did get some value from it, please share the love by reviewing and rating it in the place that you get your podcasts. That really does help to promote it to other people as well. And if you want to engage with me to go deeper with these ideas, let's talk. Especially now as we're all trying to navigate and lead our way through this time of great uncertainty, it's more important than ever before to be able to offer clarity and confidence so that we can really be fit for the future. I offer conference keynote presentations, both online and in person, workshops and masterclasses, mentoring and coaching. And you can find out more at gihanperera.com. And while you're there, you can also find my blog, my newsletter, more episodes from this podcast and some public online presentations. And these are all designed to help you leverage the potential of your organization, your team and, of course, yourself as well. Stay safe and healthy and I'll see you in the future. This is Gihan Pereira. Bye for now. For show notes, past episodes, and more, visit gihanperera.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.